Please turn in your Bibles to the passage that Bill just read for us, Matthew 14. I love singing 500-year-old songs. <clears throat> and the song was written uh, and came out of the Strasbourg Hymnal in 1545, uh, where Martin Bucer was the uh, pastor during the Great Reformation. And as I was singing that song, I was thinking how that song really encouraged believers for uh, so many years. But it, my, I was going back to the history of uh, Strasbourg and how those folks at any moment could have looked up and seen an entire army coming from the Roman Catholic Church to slaughter them all and how they stood faithful to the word of God. And that song always just embodies for me this idea of just standing faithful in Christ Jesus no matter what. And uh, it sustained them through some very difficult years. May we be such people. Let's pray together before we study God's word. Father, we come with a sense of solemnity, a sense of your majesty and your greatness, a sense that we have open Bibles before us, and this is not the mere thinking of men, but this is your word. This is your infallible, inerrant word. What this Bible says, you say. And you have recorded these things you have guided by the power of your Holy Spirit and inspired Matthew to write these things down. He was an eyewitness of these things. And we thank you so much that we have your word and that it has been given to us to look at, to read, to study, and then to obey, to do. And we ask that you would please be with us now. Help us to see Jesus and in seeing what he's doing and seeing who he is and seeing how people respond. Help us, we pray, even this week. Help us, touch us, change us, work in our lives, teach us, make us wise, make us mature, make us strong. Help us, we pray, to walk in you and to glorify you. Strengthen our faith, we pray. We ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're going to take a sweeping passage today. We're going to go from 13, Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, all the way to the end of the chapter. And I want to take these sweeping passages so you'll see how this all kind of works together. We're going to look, and I hope that you're going to see that the main thing about this passage is Jesus, who he is, the power that he has, what he is like. This is what you're supposed to see. But one thing that's going to really surface when we look at this passage, and we are going to focus on this, is you're going to see how one person, Peter, interacts with Jesus. And I guarantee you, when you see this, you're going to see yourself in here, okay? And, uh, and, and that's, I think, why this was recorded, what, what is going on here. You're going to see him stumble, and you're going to see him lose focus, and you're going to see him refocus. And, and that's going to pretty much, I think, sum up our lives week after week. So I think you're going to find a lot in this text as well. So let's begin with this text. The context of this text is that Jesus, chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, all begin with G, uh, the story of John the Baptist being executed. Now, John the Baptist is a, relation, he's a, he's a relative of Jesus, like a cousin, and they were close, as it were, and now his close 
friend, relative, and fellow servant of the new kingdom is executed. And notice what it says there in verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. Jesus needed to get away. Jesus is fully human. Jesus needed some time to alone. Jesus needed to mourn. Jesus needed to regroup. Jesus needed to pray. Jesus' human soul needed to heal. He needed to process John's death. But I also think another thing that happens to Jesus at this point is that he is once again shocked into the reality that he's next, that he's going to die. And he's preparing himself for that. So this is a very solemn time, and Jesus just felt the need to get alone. That's actually one of the keys of this text, this text. But the people wanted Jesus. So look at the second half of the verse. But when the multitude heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, which, which is, it seems like he went out of the house, here's a great multitude. There's 5,000 men. Uh, there's got to be, a, you know, I'm sure some of those men came alone, but many of them have wives, they have children, they've come for healing. So there's probably 10 to 15,000 people come out. And Jesus comes out, even though he's hurting from John's death, he comes out and notice what he does. He's moved with compassion for them. And so obviously his time alone healed him enough that he's ready to, to give now, to give and give. And so he's moved with compassion for them and he begins to heal them. All right. It takes all day. And Jesus is, is, is talking with people and touching them and praying for them and healing them. And they're getting healed and they're walking away and they're excited and they're, they're, they're thankful and they're rejoicing. He's also, we know during this time, he's teaching them and he's telling them about the kingdom of God and he's at work in their lives. And so that's all going on. It goes on all day. And so the sun starts to lower down and it's about time for supper. And look at verse 15. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And he stopped. <laughs> okay. Nope, nope, nope. They don't need to go anywhere. I command, this is actually an imperative. I command you, feed them. And they're like... You know, you know, we can't do this. Jesus just commanded them to do something that they cannot do. It's outside of their realm, and yet he commanded them. So they look around, and, and all of the gospel writers, all four of them, tell us this exact same story, and they all come up with five loaves and two fish. John tells us that it's actually some little boy's lunch pail that they, they kind of bring to Jesus. You know, it's like a SpongeBob SquarePants sponge pocket, and they open it up and say, this is all we got. This is all we got. And then, so then they bring what they can to Jesus, and then notice what he says to them. Bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. Bring that, bring that, give me that lunchbox here. Bring that here to me. He command, verse 19, he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish. Children, I want you to notice this. Looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke it and gave, thang, and gave the loaves to the disciples. Jesus did what your parents teach you to do every meal. Jesus took some time before they ate. 
He looked up to heaven, he prayed, and he blessed, he thanked God for that food. That's why we pray before we eat our meals, kids, because Jesus himself gives us that example that we're to be thankful for what God has given us at that moment, and that's why we do it. We're following Jesus' example. And so then he gives the disciples these loaves. He gives them the food. And he says he broke these, these loaves, look at the end of verse 19, and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the multitude. So the disciples actually do feed the multitude. By Jesus' giving them, he gives them the food, and they begin to distribute food. And somehow, miraculously, when you break a loaf, it's still there. And you break a loaf, and it's still there. And you break a loaf, and it's still there. And you feed 15,000 people. They're, they're out there being fed. And, uh, and in the end, notice at verse 8, 20. And so they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Why 12 baskets? Why 12 baskets? Well, there's 12 disciples. And they each had a basket, and they take up these baskets. And so they went from having a little lunchbox full of food to having 12 full baskets full of leftover loaves of bread and, and, and the fishes there. And it says to verse 21, now those who had eaten were about 5,000 besides men and women. Now, what is going on here? What is going on here? Well, Jesus is actually, this is a, a beautiful picture that's being painted of the kingdom of God. What a, what a beautiful picture this is. In fact, Jesus was actually teaching at this point about the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 9, verse 11, it says this, but when the multitudes knew it, this is, this is Luke telling this story uh, right before they were fed, they followed him, and here they're going out to find him where he was alone, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. Think about this day. Think about if you were there this day. Maybe, maybe you have a sick child, or maybe your wife is sick, or your husband's sick, or you're sick, and you go to find Jesus, and you find Jesus. He comes out of that private place where he was uh, praying and, and healing. He comes out, and, uh, and he's healing, and then he's teaching. He's preaching. Can you imagine what that was like, sitting under Jesus, teaching and preaching? And so he's healing people. There's joy. Everybody, all the 5,000 men and women and children, they're all healed. Then they have a teaching time, and he's teaching him, he's teaching him, he's telling them about the kingdom of God, and then they feed everybody, and everybody is satisfied. So you're completely healed, you're physically, you're spiritually fed by, by listening to Jesus teach, you're seeing the powerful work of God, and now you're physically fed by this food that you've been given. What a wonderful day it's been. And this is just a foretaste of the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God, when it comes in its fullness, will be like. This is what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. No one is sick. Everyone is satisfied. And we're here in the presence of God. And that's what this is. It's a little snapshot. It's a foretaste. It's a beautiful scene. A beautiful scene. Then the sun keeps going deeper and deeper down. It's getting darker and darker and darker. And so in verse 22, it says this. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Jesus is going to sort of, it's kind of like the pastor at the door. He's going he's to uh, greet the people, send them away, make sure that they're off well, uh, uh, give the benediction, as it were, and, and, uh, and greet them. So Jesus is going to minister. The guys get in the boat, and I'll meet you. You go, you go over there, and I'll meet you over there. So they do that. Verse 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now notice this. Jesus needs to get alone again. Jesus needs to get alone and pray. 
Now, this is the Jesus who just healed 15,000 some people or 7,000, I don't know how many were sick there. He just healed a bunch of people. He just fed multitudes. This Jesus is miraculously powerful. He's the very son of God. He has these powers. And yet, he feels the need to get alone and pray. Jesus regularly got alone and prayed. And dear friends, we need to do this. If Jesus needed to do it, we need to do this. Get alone and pray. Spend some time with God in prayer. In fact, Jesus is going to pray all night here. He's going to pray all night. How do we know that? Well, look what goes on and says. It says, now when evening came, he was alone. Now that evening there means sun's down. It's dark. It's night. We know that because the next scene that we see here is between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. Probably, you know, very early morning. The sun hasn't come up yet. Verse 24. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now the fourth watch, the fourth watch of the night is from 3 to 6 in the morning. Now the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now, let's pause here for a minute. Jesus is walking on the water like I am walking here. Now, I don't know how this works. I mean, it's a miracle. I don't mean that, but I don't even know how you experience this because the wind is blowing and the waves are crashing, and at the same time, Jesus is walking on solid, solid walking by his miraculous power as creator, Lord, sustainer. He is commanding the sea, whatever, to he's walking. He's walking out to them. He's walking several miles, actually. He's walking out, and it's as solid as this. Whether his feet are wet, his knees are wet, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. The wind's blowing. I don't know. But it's also dark, okay? It is dark. It is pitch black. I don't know if the moon's out because the wind's blowing. It may be cloudy. And I don't know if they had a lantern on the boat. They probably did, but the wind's blowing, so it may have blown out several times. But when Jesus gets close to these big tough sailor dudes with a couple, you know, accountants in there and uh, some others. When they, Jesus gets out, they start screaming like sissies because they think they see a ghost. Notice what it says here. And when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Now, I'm not teasing, I'm not getting down on them because to be honest with you, if it was the middle of the night and I'm out there in the water and the wind's blowing like this and we're just trying to keep this boat going and all of a sudden we look and some figure is walking toward us on top of the water, I'd be screaming with those guys too, like a sissy too. I would be screaming like a sissy too. Now, Jesus calls out to them. We have a dog. It's, it, Dan has now uh, been charged with watching this knucklehead dog. But we have this dog, and I think he's kind of blind a little bit because whenever I would come out, in my, when he used to live with me, and whenever I would come out of, uh, say, the backwoods or something or my shed, and he was in his doghouse, he didn't know I was there. He'd come out, he would go like this, he'd see me, and he'd go, Woo! like he's going to kill me. And I'd say, Scout, you knucklehead, shut up. And as soon as he heard my voice, he started wagging his tail and he'd be all excited. And I think that's kind of like what Jesus is doing. He says, as soon as Jesus speaks out to them, they recognize his voice. They get his voice. Now, in verse 27, it says this, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, some of your Bibles say, be, cour be courageous or, or something. And the word actually means both. It means be cheerful, be happy, 
Be calm because there's nothing to be afraid of. And the word also sometimes means to just man up a little bit. So I guess, you know, we could translate this either way. Cheer up or man up or both, but that's what the word means. And, and, and he, so he's, he's calming them down, he's, he's strengthening them, and he says, listen, it's me, don't be afraid. So Jesus is calmly walking on the water, and he stands out there, and then Peter gets a bright idea. Notice then what happens. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, this is amazing. This is amazing stuff. Peter says, if it is you, let me come. Command me. Give me permission. Give me the command. Make it possible for me to walk on this water out to you. And Jesus says, come, come. Come on out, Peter. Come on out. Peter literally gets out of the boat. Now, I don't know how this worked, okay? But I know if it was me, this is how it would work. I would get out of the boat very slowly, okay? And then I'd feel, okay. I'd still hold on to the boat. Okay, this is working, this is working. And I'm ready to launch out, and I would start to launch out like this. And I'd be kind of excited, and I'd be looking, and I'd be moving like that. That's what, and this is what Peter's doing. Peter is actually walking on the water. He has been empowered by Christ to walk upon the water. It's working. It's happening. He is walking on the water at Jesus' command or permission. Now, I want to pause here. Because Christians get this really mixed up sometimes. I want to pause here. Our forefathers used to use the phrase, the warrant of faith. The warrant of faith. And a warrant is, gives you permission or gives you the right. If I have a warrant to get into your house, then I have permission to get in your house. A warrant of faith. And they're, they're, they're under, they use that because they said, it is, you can only exercise faith upon something that God has given you the right to exercise faith on. You can't exercise faith on something that God hasn't given you the right to exercise faith on or else you're being presumptuous. You're being presumptuous. And so Peter says, command me, give me permission to come out to you. And, and once Jesus said, yes, Peter, you can come out. Peter didn't just jump out of the boat and start running toward Jesus without saying anything to him. Peter got a warrant. He got permission. He got the command from God to do that. Remember when the devil said to Jesus, brought him up on the temple and says, jump off. God will take care of you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't put the Lord God to your test. The Bible doesn't say, hey, anytime you want to jump off, if God were to say, anytime you want to jump off this temple, I'll protect you, then you would have a warrant. You would have the right. You don't. And so oftentimes people say, I'm just going to act out on faith. I'm going to do something. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Does the Bible even command you to do that? Is that something that you're to do? So Peter is walking on water. He's walking on the water at Jesus's permission. He's walking on the water through Jesus's power and authority. Peter can't walk on water. He's a fisherman. He knows he can't walk on water. But he's doing it through Jesus' power and authority. He's walking on the lake that he spent his whole life fishing. He's walking on it. And Jesus, Peter is walking on the water at Jesus' command by Jesus' power and authority through faith in Jesus. He believes Jesus said, come on, jump out of the boat. Walk across there with me. He exercised faith, Peter did, and he jumped out of the boat, and he's walking toward Jesus on the water. It must have felt crazy, weird, wonderful. I'm walking on the water. 
I'm walking on the water, guys. But let's just remember something about this scene. It's three in the morning or four in the morning. It's pitch black. He doesn't have a headlamp. He doesn't have an LED flashlight in his back. It's pitch black. He sees Jesus in the, in the foreground there. The wind is blowing. The waves are blowing. They've been struggling. The water is as black as ink. Do you ever swim in the dark? Anybody here ever swim in the dark? I mean, okay, some of you swim in the dark. I've swam in the dark. Did you ever jump? Honestly, to be honest with you, I don't like swimming in the dark. It, it scares me. It's scary. Even when I'm in a swimming pool, it feels like there's sharks in there because it's dark. It's like, y'all don't have a light here? Right? No, no, just, let's just jump in. Okay. But when you're in a lake swimming in the night and it's dark, I don't care how brave you are. It just feels like creepy things are just about ready to bite you. And, and so Peter is out there. It's inky black water. It's deep water. It's stormy. It's dark. And all of a sudden, he starts to get weirded out by the situation. Look at, look at what happens. Look at how the, the Bible puts it. Verse 30, but, but, everything's going good, but when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Lord, save. Peter begins to look at the circumstances around him. He begins to look at how fantastic, crazy this is, what's going on here. He begins to look at how scary this is. Suddenly the boat is back there. Jesus is up there. He's standing here. He's standing on water. How that works, he doesn't have a clue. It's black, it's dark, the wind is blowing, the waves are crashing, he's out of touch with both, he can't lunge to Jesus, he can't lunge back to the boat, he's standing out there, and the faith that got him out of the boat and onto the water, that faith that got him there and got him out this part, fails him. It runs out. He doesn't have enough. And he starts to sink. Now, I don't know how far he sank, but it's wild. This is a very vivid graphic picture. He starts to sink. Now, whether he went all the way under and Jesus had to grab him by the hair, I don't know. I don't think that happened. But he does start to sink. And notice what happens. He starts to sink and he starts crying out, Lord, save me. So is he going to his knees and then to his waist? Is he going like this? Is it starting to go out? Is it getting to his belly button? He's like, Lord, Lord, save me, save me. Well, Jesus does. Jesus does. Notice what, how the Bible puts it, verse 31. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand. Immediately, he stretched out his hand and he caught it. Jesus lunges out, reaches up and grabs it. And he caught him. And, and, and at that moment, Peter seems to be standing back on water again. He seems, he's sopping wet, but he's standing back on water again. Jesus immediately stopped, saw him, caught him, and saved him. By the way, this says something about Jesus, doesn't it? Here's a man who had a little bit of faith and came out, got a little far with his faith. That was commendable. Nobody else jumped out of the boat. He did. He a little bit starts to sink, starts to lose his faith, starts to question Jesus' ability and everything. And Jesus doesn't say, drown, infidel. Doesn't say that. Jesus is kind. Jesus is loving. 
Jesus is patient. Jesus is merciful. We just sang all this. And Jesus is strong. Come here, Peter. Come here, Peter. Now, he does admonish him. Look at what he says. You, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, notice here, Peter had a little faith. He had a little faith. He didn't have no faith. We've seen that in the, in the book of Matthew. Look at chapter 13 and verse 58. Nazareth, he did not do many work, mighty works there because of their unbelief. That's no faith. Peter had a little faith. He didn't have very sufficient faith, though. He had little faith. He didn't have faith, enough faith to get him to the goal line. Look at chapter 9 and verse 22. There's some faith. There's some faith for you. It's the woman who says, if I just touch his garment, I'll be made well. Verse 22, 9, 22. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. That woman had sufficient faith. Peter certainly didn't have great faith. He had little faith. He didn't have great faith. Look at chapter 8 and verse 10. Here's great faith. This is the centurion. He says, you don't even need to come to my house. I don't even need to see you. Just send, send the word and my servant will be healed. Look at 8, 10, 8, chapter 8, verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who have followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Here's great faith. No, the disciples, Peter here and the disciples, they had little faith. And you know when that little faith runs out for them? When things get stormy on the water. Because look at chapter 8 and verse 23. This is another stormy season on the water. Jesus is sleeping. He's going to calm it. And when he does, notice what he says in verse 26. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Now go back to Matthew chapter 14 and verse 30. One, Jesus says the same thing. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You see, Peter had little faith, but his fears eroded his faith. And all of a sudden, his little faith was out. If you have something, if you have a little amount of something, it's going to run out real fast. If you have a little bit of water and you're in the desert, it's going to go fast. If you have a little bit of gas in the tank, you're going to run it out. If you have a little bit of money, you're going to run out of money quickly. Fears eroded Peter's faith. He had faith. He said little faith. And fears eroded his faith. Fears, he shifted his focus and he begins, his faith begins to erode. It blanks out Jesus' presence and he's looking at the wind and the waves and his little faith is gone. And Jesus says this, why did you doubt? Now, this is an interesting word for doubt. Actually, it's only used twice in the scriptures. It's not the normal word that's used for doubt. Doubt is kind of like what we're used to thinking doubt is, is, oh, no, I don't even think, uh, I, I'm doubting God even exists. I'm doubting that God's even got out. I'm, that's not the word that's used here. This word actually means to vacillate between two positions, to be, to, be, to be questioning in that sense, to be shifting back and forth, to be wavering. It's like you get to a crossroads, a, a T in the road, and you're like, ah, do I go left, do I go right, do I go left? I, I just can't make a decision. That's what this word means. And Peter is seeing Jesus in the waves. He's seeing Jesus in the wind. He's seeing Jesus in the inky water. He's seeing Jesus in the boat way back there. And he's going, what, what's going on? I, I, what, what do I do? What's going on? That's what he means. That's what he means here. And so what happens is, is that he begins to sink. Jesus grabs him. Now look at verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. That's a miracle, isn't it? The wind just stopped. They were in a calm boat. And those who were in the boat came and worshiped him. 
And that word means to fall on your face and kiss the ground. Literally, it means that. These guys fell on their faces and they worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Truly, you are the son of God. Now, I want you to look at chapter 8 and verse 27 one more time, just quickly. The last time they were in a boat, the last time this great tempest had, Jesus stands up and he commands the wind to stop and the waves to stop. And look at what it says at the end of verse 27. So the men marveled saying, who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now look at what happens. They go through the exact same experience, but they've grown a lot since then. Notice verse 33. And then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. Their faith has beginning to fill out with content. And then verse 34, they cross over, they come to the land of Gennesaret. The people recognize him. They come rushing out. Verse 35, they bring people who are sick. And look at verse 36, they beg him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. What an amazing person Jesus is. What an amazing thing it would be like. Now let's just apply this to ourselves in the few minutes we have to close. Certainly, we see ourselves in Peter. We see ourselves in Peter. This is who we are. It reminds me of Jairus when Jairus says, whose daughter was sick. Jairus, Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. And Jairus says, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. We're vacillators. We're people who, when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, our faith begins to vacillate. We lose focus on who God is, and we begin to panic. We begin to look around. Our, we begin to breathe. Our breathing starts to get a little bit labored. Our heartbeat goes up. We, we get confused. We, get, we, we, we start losing a, a, a sense of clarity. We start focusing on our circumstances, and we, oh, we start worrying, and we start anxiety begins to come up, and that's who we tend to be. It takes our focus, and then fears begin to rise, and we begin to fall apart and we say, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Just cry out. I, I, I don't know what to do. I've lost my composure. I had my devotions this morning and you, everything seemed so calm and you seemed so close and I was so focused and I knew you were God. And then I started my day and then all of a sudden this problem came up or this circumstance came up or my, my, my pain began to, to increase or, or something happened and, and I'm starting to vacillate. Does he love me? Is he there? What about all this? I, I'm sinking. I'm sinking. I'm sinking. Lord, save me. Now you see, dear friends, God throws us into different circumstances and trials and difficulties so that our faith is challenged, so that our faith is tested, so that our faith grows. So we don't have little faith. We have growing faith. And we get to the point we have much faith. You know the verses, James 1, 1 uh, verses 2 to 4. It says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. <laughs> the, the seas flowing and like they, these guys had the wind blowing, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's the word hupomane, that patient endurance, that ability to continue to trust and to hang on and hang in there. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete or mature, lacking nothing. So God puts us through different circumstances. And sometimes he puts us through the same circumstance over and over and over so that we grow a little bit by being in that circumstance. This is the second storm these guys have been at. And you know what's going to happen again? It's going to happen again. they got a hungry multitude of people, and Jesus says, you do something. It's going to happen again. 
There's the feeding of 5,000, and there's the feeding of another group too. It's coming up. And so God puts us through these circumstances over and over and over. And they're supposed to strengthen our faith. We're supposed to mature through that. We're supposed to develop through that. We're supposed to learn and grow in that kind of thing. But often that's not what happens to us. We vacillate and we, we look at our circumstances and we get frustrated that the same things keep happening over and over again. The same difficulties come up. The same temptations I have to keep facing. The same pain or, 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 or struggle that I have in my life. The same illness that I have to keep living and living and living with. We get frustrated with it. We vacillate. We keep looking at it. So how do we get off this? How do we fix this? Well, dear friends, you've come to the right place. Firmly tongue-in-cheek. I have to say that because some people just listen to this on a podcast and they can't see my face and know that I'm kind of teasing here a little bit. You've come to the right place, friends. I have the answer for you. You may want to write this down. It's very specific. Now, come on. You know I'm an expert, right? You know, I, I mean, for goodness sakes, I've been a Christian for 50 years. I have a master's degree in theology. I know everything about this stuff. So, V, very, here you go. You're getting it. You can have it free. Here's the answer. You may want to write this down. How do you quit vacillating and keep faith? How do you, how do, you do it? Here it is. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Don't do it. Stop. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Wait, wait, why are, you, why are you looking at all the winds away? Stop it, Peter. Look back at me. Focus, focus. Look at me, Peter. Stop sinking. Stop worrying. Stop fearing. Stop it. That's really the answer, dear ones. We need to stop looking at our circumstances. We need to stop looking at the wind and the waves as if Jesus is powerless, as if we're out here all alone, as if there's just inky water below us and wind blowing us and we're on our own. And that's what Peter did. Wait a minute, I'm on my own out here. I'm on my own. I have nothing. Jesus is standing right there. I feel like saying, scout, you knucklehead, shut up. We need to say this to ourselves. Stop looking at your circumstances. Stop it. Look to Jesus. Look to God. Look to the Redeemer. Look to the Savior. Look to the promises. Jesus said to Peter, I command you walk on water. Peter says, invite me, command me. Okay, come, come, walk on water. And then, Jesus, then Peter falls apart. Jesus says to you and I, I'll take care of you. I'll watch over you. I'll be here for you. Follow me. You'll be, my, you'll be my, my sheep, my brethren. God says, you're my children. I'll take care of you. I'll watch over you. No circumstance will overwhelm you. I'll strengthen you in the circumstances. I'll help you in your trials. I'll be there present with you. I will look, just look to me. Get all of your strength, all of your power for me. Peter wasn't walking on that water because he could walk on water. He was walking on water by Jesus' authority, Jesus' power, Jesus' command, Jesus' sustaining grace. He needed to keep an eye on where all of that came from from, not his circumstances. Friends, we need to just stop it. I need to stop it. You need to stop it. Stop looking at your circumstances and allowing those circumstances to erode your faith. Jesus' power hasn't failed. His promises haven't failed. He is going to be with you. He won't forsake you. So stop looking at your circumstances and letting them overwhelm you. Secondly, stop looking at your feelings. 
Stop looking at your feelings. We're such a touchy-feely culture, and it's getting worse. Oh, my, is it getting worse. We just, we, this is the way I feel. This is the way I feel. I don't care how you feel. I feel like God says that. Your feelings aren't important. What's reality? Peter's scared. The wind's blowing. Peter's scared. Peter's worried. Peter's fearful. Does that mean anything, really? Jesus is right there. He's got all the power. What's Peter's feelings? Stop looking at your feelings. Now, here, this one may confuse you a little bit, but listen very carefully. Stop looking at your faith. Stop looking at your faith. You know why, dear friends? Stop looking at your faith because you don't get faith by looking at your faith. You don't get faith by looking at your faith. By the way, don't look at your faith. You know why? Oh, do I have enough faith? Oh, I, I, you know, I, and this is kind of like this is sort of the, 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 the step cousin of looking at your feelings. We immediately look within. We look at our circumstances. Ah! And then we look within. What do I feel? What do I feel? Do I have faith? Do I have faith? What do I feel? Do I have faith? Dear friends, listen, there's nothing in here that's worth looking at. You got little faith. It's hidden somewhere in there. It's being overwhelmed right now by your fears and your circumstances. Faith isn't something that you, you have in a quantity that you can, you can look at in quantity. Oh, I'm fine. Look, I got great faith. I'm fine. I'm like, the, I'm like the centurion. I got great faith. No, no, no. That's not how faith works. You know why? Do you know why that's not how faith works? Because faith doesn't come from in here in one sense. Faith is turning to somebody else, trusting somebody else. Faith comes from that object that you're trusting in. Faith comes from that. And the more you know that object and the more confidence you have in that object and the more you're aware of that object and the more you've tasted and seen that that object is faithful, your faith will grow. Faith is only as good as the object that you put it in. You go out on ice, and you don't know if that ice is solid. You start bouncing on it, and you say, oh, oh, this is great. I was doing a roof yesterday with Dan. Chris was there, and Andre was there. And Dan, when, and uh, Chris and I, we, we were ground guys. Like, I'm 65. I've done my roofing. I'm a ground guy now. I ain't going up there. And Andre said, I'm only going up there because I love Dan, man. But that's the only reason I'm going up there. Right, Andre? That's what you said, I'm pretty sure. And then Dan said to all the guys that are up there, there's holes in this roof. So Dan says, listen, only walk on the boards that I put across, okay? So then I could see Andre. He was like, oh, and now we have this too. And so, but as they were up there and the roof is going up and everything, pretty soon Dan, Andre, Nick, they're up there talking. They're up there having theological discussions. They're up there planning their businesses. They're up there laughing and joking. Why? Their faith grew. They knew that as long as they were on those boards, Dan had set that up right. They were fine. They were good. They actually forgot that they were on the roof in one sense. They forgot all of those fears. They moved on. Their faith grew. Why? Because Dan had done the right job, and that thing was good. Don't look at your faith and at your feelings. Oh, I don't know if I feel that. Don't look at that. Look at Jesus. Look at him. 
Get to know him. And as you get to know him, your faith is going to grow. That's how faith grows. That's how we get more faith. We continue to look at him. I'll illustrate this for you. You're you're, you're on a hiking trail and you're one of those really stupid people. And they're out there, by the way. I've heard several stories of this. And they go to the edge of a canyon and a cliff. It's 200 drop. They're even doing selfies like this. And they fall. Like people actually fall doing selfies now. It's like, it's crazy. But anyway, imagine you fall and you fall about 50 feet and you grab onto a root and you're hanging there and it's straight down from you. And you're, help, help, help. You're screaming like that. And all of a sudden, this rope comes out. And you look at that rope. And it's a big rope. It's a thick rope. And then you look up. And what you see up there is this, this massive guy. This massive guy, huge, huge biceps, huge forearms, huge triceps. He's been at the gym doing his thing. He's a big, massive guy. He's got hands like vices. He's got hands like vices. And you look at this hand. You look at him. You look at the rope. You look at them biceps. You look at them hands. You look at, but then you look him in the face. And he's got determination. And he's got compassion. And then you even look at his uniform. And he's got patches. And he's one of these guys who's supposed to be doing this. And he's been certified. And what's that all do? And what's he going to say to you? He's going to say to you, you got to let go of that root and you got to grab this rope and I'll pull you up. And what's the next thing that's going to come out of his mouth? I guarantee you. Don't look down. <laughs> Don't look down. But why? Because if you look down and you say, that's, that's a 150 foot drop. I will squash like a watermelon. You'll be paralyzed. He'll say, don't look down. Look me in the eye. Look me in the eye. Look me in the eye. I can do this. I've done this before. I've done this hundreds of times before. Look me in the eye. You're nothing. You're lightweight. I can pull you up. Look me in the eye. Grab that rope. Grab that rope. How is my faith going to grow? The confidence that he can do this. I could look at my feelings, and all I'm going to see is fear, despair, paralysis. I can look down, and all I'm going to see is a big fall, screaming like a baby, and death. Or I can look up and see his face and see his muscles and see that rope and my faith and confidence in him grows and I grab the rope. Dear friends, you will not have faith unless you know how good Jesus is. You know how good Jesus is. You know who Jesus is. You know that Jesus will be there for you. You know he has the power. You will have growing, strong faith. That's how you get it. You get growing, strong faith by looking to Jesus. Actually, one of the things that you need to do regularly, I have it one on my list right here, right now, is you need to do exactly what you're doing right now. Sit under biblical preaching where Jesus has opened up and explained and described so that you grow in a knowledge of him. And the Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. How then shall we call on him in whom we have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And then the next, then two verses down it says this. So then faith comes by hearing and do the next one. Did I give you the next one? Romans 10, 17. Boom. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Sit under biblical preaching. Sit under biblical preaching. Secondly, secondly, did you not notice? Well, you had to notice because I pointed out twice. Jesus got alone with God. Jesus got alone to pray. 
Dear friends, and I'm just telling you stuff that works in my life dramatically and powerfully. Get alone and prayerfully read your Bible. Meditate on it. Pray it through. Get with Jesus. Spend time with him. And you will grow. Read your Bible. And then pray it through. Pray what you read. By the way, few old guys who are here, you old gals that are here, my peers, my buddies, this really helps you to remember what you just read in your Bible. George Whitfield would read one verse and then get on his knees and pray, then read another verse and then pray. This week, I read, greater love has no man than he laid down his life for his friend. And I was alone with Jesus, and I looked up in the sky, and I was overwhelmed that he loved me so much that he gave his life for me. And I praised him and I thanked him. And I looked at the verse again and I looked at him and I praised him and I thanked him. And dear friends, I went through the rest of that day deeply conscious that I was deeply loved because the son of God gave his life for me. Be with Jesus. In Acts chapter four and verse 13, these disciples are amazing, the Sanhedrin, when it says this, Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Get with Jesus. Thirdly, get out of the boat. Take a risk. Jesus says it. Take the risk. Jesus promised it, go with it. Jesus, go boldly, get out of the boat. Jesus says, come, walk on water, go walk on water. What do you mean by that? Face life boldly. Jesus is going to be with you. Get out there and walk on that water. I don't care how much the wind is blowing and the waves are going. You walk on that water. If that means walking into a hospital uh, room, if that means walking into surgery, if that means walking into a difficult situation uh, where there's going to be some difficulties that you have, if that means walking through, if that just means getting up the next day and walking because your life is difficult, you get out of that boat and start walking, looking to him, trusting in him, believing upon him, and continuing to move forward because of who he is. Finally, lock on him. Lock on him. And don't let the wind, don't let the waves, don't let the circumstances, don't let the fears, don't let the anxieties, don't let the trials, don't let the pain, don't let anything take you off of him. Lock on Jesus. Lock on him. Look him in the eye. Trust him. Take him at his word. Be willing to walk through the wind and the waves. Because he will never let you down. Never. Oh, dear ones, if you're unbelievers here today, get out of the boat of your sins. Get out of the boat of yourself. Get out of the boat and come to Jesus. He will give you all that you need. Do you have little faith? Get it to grow. But whatever faith you got, it could be the size of a mustard seed, lock it on him. I'm going to close by just reading the quote that you have within you. We're going to close with this. This is from Richard Sibbs. And he wrote this. And as I was reading this, I thought of all of us. And I wanted to close with this. It's from a section in his treatise when Jesus, Peter, uh, David says, this God is my God. And he's building this all up. And he says this, those that have God for their God 
have enlarged hearts as they have enlarged comforts. They have an everlasting spring that supplies them in all wants, refreshes them in all troubles, and then runs most clearly and freshly when all other streams in the world are dried and stopped up. Isn't that true? you got God, you've got this wonderful blessing. Were we skillful in the art of faith to improve so great an interest, what in the world could much dismay us? Faith will set God against all. I love that line. Faith will set God against all. <laughs> yeah, I don't care what you bring in me. This God is my God. I'm good. Whereas if we make this clear to our souls that God is ours, and then we take up our thoughts with the great riches we have in him laid open in Christ. And then the promises, we need trouble ourselves about nothing, but only get a large vessel of faith to receive what is offered, nay, enforced upon us. This God is your God. You have nothing to fear. Let's pray together. Oh, dear God, we praise you and we thank you that we can stride through life, even this week, like titans. We can stride through life full of faith and confidence and courage. We can stride through the wind and the waves by just looking at you and knowing everything you promised will always come true. You will always be faithful. You will give us the grace we need. Even when you send trials, you will send us the grace we need to keep walking oh, through the wind and waves. Help us to continue to stay focused upon you. Give us grace, we pray, to find all that we can need in you. Stayed upon you, firm upon you. We have what we need. We praise you. We thank you. Help us to stop looking at the circumstances and start focusing on you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.